sermon series, and just uh, so we remember the, the focus is 1 Peter uh, 2.21. It says this, For this you've been called because Jesus, or Christ, suffered for you, leaving you an example. That's the big word, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And so what we're going to be doing and, and, uh, over the next few weeks, like I said last week, is we're going to be looking at some of Jesus' actions, what he did, what marked different aspects of his life, and what we should be doing with that, how to be programmed like Jesus, how to look like him and, and to function like him. And so last week we talked, and I, I want to remind us a little bit about what artificial intelligence is. And so artificial intelligence, according to Matt, remember I'm not a, uh, I, I want you to know, again, I'm not a computer scientist, I'm just a guy who likes to play with computers. So just so we're on the same page, so if uh, somebody really, really smart comes up and tells you you have a, a misunderstanding of how computers work, uh, don't blame me. <laughs> They're complicated. But the artificial intelligence is basically this. We measure stuff. We measure different inputs and figure out what's right and wrong. And we, we take that data from measuring. And a human comes and says, something's wrong. So this red bucket over here is the wrong bucket. And so we take data and we take the inputs. And a human says, this was a good, bad thing. And, and don't do that anymore. It made it. Uh, and then... We'll get good instances. We'll get moments of, of saying, yeah, that's, that's right. This data is good. These, these things that it happens are all right. Uh, it's working properly. And so over time, this data that builds up, then the computer can look at and say, faster than any human can, is it right or wrong? They can read faster than any, any human could. But it takes that human interaction first to tell the computer what's going on and what's good and bad. And so that sounded to me a lot like sanctification, of, of progressively looking more like Jesus and, and being brought to him. And so this week we're going to be talking about relationship, friendship. And before I get like super far into this, and I've, I've glossed over this, uh, this week, I really hope, I, I'm going to give you like the, the, the desire of my heart for all of us this morning, including myself. The, my desire as I go through this is not for you to feel down. I don't want you to feel like, oh, I'm just so bad and it's, I'm not very good and I'm never going to be good at this. And it, That's not the goal of this morning. The goal for me up here and the goal that I feel like God has for us is to come out, to, to exit these doors and, and a, a few short uh, minutes, not hours, minutes, tens of minutes, we'll set expectation, tens of minutes, uh, is to walk out the door and say, God, I trust you, and I can do this. God, I trust you, and I can do this. But the problem with relationship isn't that it's, it's super hard, it's that a lot of hurt builds up over time in relationship. We've had friendships fall apart. We've had things happen to us that hurt and are painful. And, and we have examples in our lives that show us that being in close relationship with people hurts. Hurts deeply when it goes wrong. And so we want to protect ourselves. We don't want to get hurt, and so we, we protect ourselves. So I want to just acknowledge that up top as we go into this whole topic is that, A, it's easy to feel beat up. I don't want that. I want us to walk out 
with our heads held high saying, God is good, we can do this. And I also want to acknowledge relationships are hard. It is difficult. And so those two things I just want to acknowledge right up top as we talk about this. And so this week, as I've been uh, kind of preparing for this week, I really got hung up on something I said last week. I don't know if you ever have that happen to you, where something you said a few days ago you just can't stop thinking about. Uh, And that happened to me this week. And that statement was this, that Jesus is humanity at its best. That Jesus is humanity at its best. And I kept on thinking about that over and over again. I kind of even said that a little, like, it was more the leading of the Spirit than my notes on Sunday. Uh, just to be honest, it was just a, a spirit-led moment. And, and I kept on thinking about this. Like, Jesus is humanity at its best. And as we go through friendship, as we talk about friendship, I think it's good to remember that. That Jesus, and the way he had relationship, and the way he did relationship, is humanity at its best best, at its core. And so, for us, relationship is something that not only is humanity at its best, but God has actually programmed positive and negative responses in us as humanity, as individuals, to feeling connected and feeling alone. So there's actual physical responses that we have when we feel connected to to people around us, when we feel supported and loved And there's actual physical responses, negative things that happen inside of us when we feel alone or not connected with people. Let me show you what I'm talking about, just because I feel like I'm getting some, like, inquisitive, like, what do you mean by that? Let me show you. So I've been doing a little research on friendship and what it means to us as individuals. And so I'm going to kind of be reading from this book called uh, Vital Friendship, The People You Can't Afford to Live Without. It's by Tom Rath, and uh, by reading, I mean I've been listening to an Audible book. Just, I just want to be honest about that, too. We've got to get honesty first. I'm not really reading it. I'm listening to it, but in today's culture, if you've listened to the book, you've read it, so I'm reading this book. Uh, and it, here, here's some interesting facts. If your best friend eats healthy, if your best friend eats healthy, you are five times more likely to have a healthy diet yourself. So if you have friends that eat healthy, you are much more likely to eat healthy. Check this one out. Married people say friendship is more than five times more important to them than physical intimacy. hey yo, I would not have guessed that. When I read that, I went, are you really serious? Are we sure? Are we sure? But research shows that that's the case. I like this one. Those who say they have no friends at work, no relationship at work, have a 1 in 12 chance of feeling engaged at work. Feeling like work has meaning. That work means something. 1 in 12. That is not very good odds in our favor if we don't feel like we have relationship at our jobs. But if your best friend works at the same job you work at, you have a 7 times better chance of feeling engaged at work. So if we do the quick math, one times seven is seven, so you have a seven in 12 chance of feeling like work is engaging and exciting and you love it. To me, if your best friend is at work, it's almost impossible not to enjoy work. Because <laughs> you goof off and you have fun and you enjoy relationship, and we're built to enjoy relationship. I think that that's amazing. So relationship, there's physical things that happen inside of us when it comes to relationship. 
Research also shows that married couples that have low strife and low contention in their relationship heal 40% faster than people who have relationships that are strained and full of, of fighting. And that healthy marriage relationships actually can alleviate depression related to losing a job or long hospital stays, up to two months. So having a healthy relationship with a spouse can completely nullify the negative effects in our, in our psycho, psychological health to losing a job or having a long stay in the hospital. The 40% faster healing part is really fascinating to me. That, that healthy relationship actually helps us heal physically, not, not just like heal emotionally, but physically our bodies heal faster when we have healthy relationship in our lives. So that's, that's what I'm talking about when we're talking about healthy relationship. But I think the, the hard part about our society today is that, that money it seems to fix everything in our hearts, in our minds. We, we put money in the place, I think, in most, most areas of our lives. We put money as the thing that does what relationship really does for us. And so I wonder how many of you listening this morning to my voice, whether it's here or it's later on this week on the podcast. Yes, the church has a podcast Central Assembly Superior, wherever you get your podcasting. Uh, that's a rabbit trail. But wherever, you, wherever you're at listening to my voice, how many of you would say that money, you, you work like money brings you security? How many of you would say you work and, and, and chase money because that's the way you find your value in the world today? Think about that. Do you chase money like that's the value you have? Like the dollar amount on the check that you receive at the end of two weeks or every bi-monthly or whatever, that that is the value you have in the world today. Or even that like the money that you think you earn on your own is the security your family needs to have healthy living. Like how many of us would say, if we were really honest with ourselves, would, would say, yeah, yeah, I, I am like that. Like, that is the way I work or the way I think. I haven't really identified it that way, but it's true. You see, the thing is, is, it's like being programmed like Jesus and really looking and saying, can I be programmed like Jesus is not, we have to stop denying the things that the world has tried to replace Jesus with. And money is one of those things that the world says is, is better than the way that Jesus says we should be programmed. That it can replace these things that Jesus says are good for us. Living in denial, it's, it's like pretending nothing's wrong and nothing needs fixing. It's, it's crazy. It's kind of like this slide I'm going to show you here in just a second. Some of you guys are having panic attacks right now. I, I understand. This is, this is, this, if you see this screen on your computer, let me tell you, some of the bads happened. <laughs> Something went wrong in your computer. But it's, it's like denying that we, we don't need to fix anything in our lives is like looking at this, this screen and saying, eh, nothing's wrong. It's no big deal. Just restart and it'll be okay. It says, Windows has crashed again. This is the blue screen of death. No one hears your screams. <laughs> and that's the same, we can't, you can't deny that we, we need to be honest with ourselves inside of relationship and understand that we need to be willing to fix things and look at ourselves and say, 
God has something better for us than what, what we allow ourselves to replace friendship with. And, and money is the big one. So today, I want to look at what Jesus does to start his public ministry. It's Matthew 4, 18, if you want us to turn there. And as we look at what Jesus did, I want us to just keep in focus. We're looking at humanity at its best, what Jesus does as, as the best of humanity. And so this may seem a little abstract right away, but I think as we go through it, I think it'll make a lot of sense why, why I want to look at what Jesus does to start his public ministry. And so today we're going to be looking at relationships in your life. So just be willing to look at your marriage relationship, your dating relationship, your engaged relationship, the people that you spend time with, the friends that you have, uh, the family members even that you, you spend time with. And, and just be honest. Like I said up top, I understand ships are hard. Relationships are really not easy at times. And so it's okay. I, I, going through this this week, getting ready for this, there was a lot of places where I went, God, I need help. I don't know what to do here. I don't know how to change. Can you help me? And hopefully, I hope that you can have that same attitude today as we go through this. So Matthew 18.22, here's what it says. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of, son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called to them. Immediately they left, and their father, their father and followed him. So let's pray, and let's get into this. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your example. Lord God, help us to be programmed like you, to find value in relationship the way you find value in relationship. Lord, I ask that you would help encourage us this morning that, that the complicated nature of, of relationship in the world today can be mended by the spirit of your love and by the grace that you've instilled inside of us as believers in your name. Amen. So Matthew 4, this is like the first thing Jesus does before starting his public ministry. And that's what I really what I want to focus on this morning is, is that this action of finding these four men is the first thing Jesus does before going and turning water into wine, which is considered the first action of his public ministry. And so I think this shows that Jesus puts priority on close relationship, on building friendships with people. And we, like Jesus, have a lot of people around us. The world today has six billion people plus in the world. That's a lot of people. Can we, can we just acknowledge that? That's a lot of people. And I think inside of that, we have to be willing, like Jesus, to see the people inside the crowds and the masses. That, that six billion people is not just a large number. It's a large number of people, individuals. And I think that's really important. But inside of all the masses of people, Jesus looked and drew out individuals for personal relationship. See, true friendship can't happen in the big group, in the large group. Here on Sunday morning, you looking at me, relationship doesn't happen naturally that way. We have to be willing to allow people to come in 
and eat with them and sup with them and be together as a community. And so Jesus was doing this. That was his first act, is to, is to say, hey, come follow me. Out of the masses, come be with me. See, on this occasion, Matthew's version doesn't say this, but Luke's does. In Luke 5, 1, it says, on one occasion, so this is the start of the, kind of the exact same story, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake. And he saw two boats by the lake, and the fishermen had gone out to them and were washing their nets. So Jesus' story, where we're at in his life, he's already being followed around by lots of people. So I think for me, when I thought, think about these stories from when I'm told like a kid, I, feel, I imagine Jesus walking on the shoreline by himself and like these random people, he's like, hey, just come on, let's go. And it's just him. But that's not how it went down. People are already following him, interested in what he's saying and the words that he is giving and the life that is happening out of Jesus' mouth for them. And out of that crowd, he's seeing people, individuals, and saying, come be with me. Come into relationship with me. Jesus was calling 12 men to have close relationship and he, he knew that meant this, that when he spoke parables, that when he withdrew with the crowd, they would ask, what did you mean by that? What, what, was, what, what was going on here? And Jesus had opportunity to say, this is what's meant by this parable. This is what's going on behind the scenes. There was an intentional choice to bring people close. And so followers are the group of people that were around Jesus. He had lots of followers, lots of people wanting to be around him. And so a follower is this. A follower are, followers are people who are interested in what you do or who you are from a distance. That's a follower. Somebody who follows is interested in who you are or what you do. I'm a follower of people. I have YouTube channels that I've subscribed to and I'm interested in those people's lives and what they do and who they are and the things they create. I'm a follower. Uh, but what happens when we get a lot of followers is that they're the thing that can help us feel like important. And that's a trap. Lots of followers doesn't make you important. It just makes, means a lot of people are interested in what you're doing. It doesn't make you important. And being transparent a little bit up here, uh, it's really easy to feel important when all of you are listening so nicely. <laughs> uh, I appreciate it. It's really, it's really easy to get mixed up when, when you're doing this up here. Uh, and I think the key is, as a preacher, is to speak the word of God in love and in truth as, as clearly as possible. And so that, that's what happens when we have followers. When a mass of people get together and are following a movement is we easily feel important. But Jesus knew this about followers, is they were, they were very fickle. Followers aren't very committed people in, in your life. They'll turn on you in a moment. They may like your pictures, send you sad emotes when you're feeling down, but when it comes down to it, when the rubber meets the road, they're the first ones out the door. In fact, Jesus knew this so well that he understood that the same masses that were following him around and wanting to hear what he was saying, were the same group of people that were going to be incited to say, crucify him, crucify him, on that so fateful day. 
It's the same group of people. It didn't change. It was the same group of followers, people who were interested in who he was and what he was doing that would call out for his crucifixion. And so we can't be close with everybody. You're not going to be friends with everybody even here at church. It's impossible. And that's okay. I'm not saying, what I'm not saying when I'm talking about followers or following somebody is negative. I think it's just good to have an understanding of what a follower is. To understand that we follow a lot of people. And understanding that here at Central Assembly, we won't know everybody, that we'll kind of know of everybody, that you're kind of following people. And that's okay because I think in a, big, in a church, the gospel's bigger than us. It's bigger than you, it's bigger than me. And the hope, my hope is, is that absolutely we don't know everybody. You want to know why? Because people are getting saved, things are happening, and it's impossible to know everybody. That's a move of God. And we'll try our hardest, but the gospel is bigger than all of us. And I think when we don't know everybody, I think it reminds us of that, that the gospel's a big, big place, an open, an open place. And so, to be a follower, here's, here's some thoughts on following well. It's following somebody's life or following along with somebody, even in this context. Here's two ideas for you on how to be a healthy follower. Number one, judge the way you want to be judged. This happens a lot on, online, is you make one mistake and then everybody retweets it and rememes it and makes fun of you and... and I don't know. I, don't, I just realize you don't know everything. Judge the way you would want to be judged. And so you're just following. You don't know everything, and so judge, judge accordingly. Uh, it's, it's, it's maybe really good to practice grace and patience than being quick to judge as, and when we're following. And the other thing is just to be uniquely aware that you're, you don't know the whole story. When you're following somebody, when you're just, you just know of them and you're seeing things happen in their lives, you don't know the whole story. You don't know what's going on in the, in the, in the inner parts of their being and the things that they're dealing with and the, the family issues that may be pulling at their lives. Just, just understand, you don't know the whole story. You don't know everything. And so show grace. Say, you know what? It's okay. I'll judge the way I want to be judged. And, and I'll understand that I don't know the full story. I think that those two things will help us be healthy followers. Healthy individuals when it comes to following this mass of people, even here at Central Assembly. And so I, I want to share a whole story with you for a second to, to kind of share a little bit of, of who, who I am and, and what has happened in my life. Uh, middle school was a hard time in my life. I think it's maybe a hard time for a lot of people, but it was a hard time for me. Uh, and so we were homeschooled for all, I was homeschooled for my whole start of life, from sixth grade, seventh grade, seventh grade on, I was homeschooled. And so for me, youth group was like my social outlet. It was where, where I had friends, where I was, uh, connected to, and so it was like really important to me to feel connected in youth group. I wanted to be connected with people and heard and seen by people because it was my social outlet at that time. 
And like Samuel announced, camp season had come around. Camps were here. We had gone down to Lake Geneva, which is the camp in Minnesota for, for high school students. And, and I got put in with the cool kids, the youth group cool kids. And I was excited because it was my moment, right? It's like, yes, I get to be with the cool kids. I get to be accepted by them and brought in by them. And I was so excited. Now, now I'll have a relationship in youth group. And we went through the week, and everybody started giving out nicknames. Everybody got a nickname for, for themselves. And uh, I got a nickname, too. I was excited. This, when you get a nickname in a group of people, you've made it, right? <laughs> like, you got a nickname. Uh, and so the, the high school students gave me this nickname, and it was Sasquatch. Um, and I was excited. I just got a nickname. I didn't care what it was about. Uh, but the reality is I was also 13, and we didn't have a computer that doubles as a communication device to, like, Google what the word Sasquatch means right there. So I didn't know what they were doing. I just thought, hey, I got a cool nickname. No big deal. And when I came in, they'd all be, Sasquatch, yeah, and they would laugh. And I thought, hey, I'm on the ends now. Uh, fast track to being a cool kid in youth group. I wasn't a cool kid in youth group. You can ask Kaylin. She was there. <laughs> um, I thought I was on the end. And, and one of the, the nicknames that kind of has followed me throughout my high school life and into later in life is, is a nickname, Big Z. Uh, it was coined by Chad, his name was. He was a youth leader at the time. And the thing that I realized after, uh, a long time after, is that what Chad actually did by giving me the name Big Z, he was actually trying to divert what was actually happening. See, the reality was, I wasn't on the ends. I was the hyperactive homeschooled kid. I wasn't on the ends. I was being made fun of. And Chad saw that as a youth leader and started to try to change the narrative and say, let's, let's call him Big Z instead. Let's, let's change that. And at the time, looking back, I think I knew what was going on. But I did not care because I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to have that feeling of being a part of the cool kids. So I didn't care that I was being called Sasquatch and they were laughing. I cared that I was feeling accepted. And Chad saw that and he, he stepped in and Big Z took off and they stopped calling me Sasquatch and called me Big Z. And it made a difference in my life. And, and so, side note, pause. Be a youth leader. Like, really, be a youth leader. It's not just some nice thing. It's not just something you have to be called to. It's a place to, like, really make a difference in a kid's life. Look at this. I'm 33, and I'm talking about my youth leader at 13 years old, Chad, and the difference he made in my life at this moment. And you can do the same for students here at Central Assembly. Okay, unpause. <laughs> This is our fetish in life, to feel accepted and cared about by others. We want to feel accepted and cared about. That is really important to us. And so a fetish is this, an inanimate object worshipped for its supposed magical powers. That's a fetish. An inanimate object worshipped for its supposed magic powers powers. You want to know what's an inanimate object that we chase? Thumbs up. 
and hearts. <laughs> Thumbs up and hearts. We chase those things on social media. Come on now. You, you post a picture and you want, you want as many likes as you can get. Yeah, I think that's a fetish. It sounds like a fetish to me. Because those, those things, those likes and those, those hearts, are what a lot of us, especially those of us who are millennials, that's how we feel valued in life. That's like our, our status symbol. How many people are subscribed to your YouTube channel and how many people are following you on Instagram? And social media is a, a really good place to like medicate and feel cared for. If, if you really want to like not go too deep and not really share who you are but still feel like some sort of affirmation from people around you, I, I'll give you the three-step process. No secret, but I'll give you the three-step process to medicate the, the hurts and the pains that you feel on social media to get likes. First off, post a picture or a story. Post a picture. In that picture, make sure it's positive, you're pretty, and you're having the time of your life. Those are the three-step three process. Be positive, be pretty, and have the time of your life. Doesn't matter if it's real, doesn't matter if it's fake, Get those three things right in your post on social media and you'll get all the thumbs up and hearts you need to feel affirmed. Social media breaks us, people. It's a good place to keep up with people and to, to know the people that have moved away or keep up with that. But when we start to turn to social media for acceptance and love and care, it gets bad in a hurry because it's not real. It's, it's just followers. And they, you may never know those followers' names. You may never know who they are. And followers, all they do is take and take. Even if they're positive, they just take. They don't give. And so when we chase our fetishes, like I did in middle school, being willing to be made fun of to just feel accepted, we, we get messed up. And we start, social media people, it's snuck into our real lives. No matter what age you're at, social media snuck into our real lives. We do things for the slaps on the back. I think. I, I know I can catch myself doing this. And the problem with slaps on the back and positive talk and all that stuff is that sometimes we need somebody to just hear us out when we're really hurting. When, when things are really going bad and things are really kind of just going go places that are hard. We, we don't need the bandwagon jumpers, like all of you who are now Twins fans. We don't need the bandwagon jumpers in our lives. We need committed friends, people who are a support system. Ecclesiastes 4.10 says this, and this blows my mind when I think about relationship. It says, For, they, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. If you have friends, you have people to lift you up when you fall. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has no one to lift him up. No one to, to speak life into you. I think that's just like, when we chase the fetish of acceptance, we end up being alone with no support system. And Ecclesiastes says, woe to him who is alone because he has nobody to help him when he's really in need when he's really looking for something to, to pick them up. And now, and now 
with how our lives are lived in social media and, and doing everything for the slaps on the back and the, the positive reinforcement, we, we end up having to compensate in real friendship to try to find friends. So now we've, we've chased acceptance, we've chased the, the fakeness to try to feel accepted, and now we have to then compensate on the real friendship side to like make excuses for people to really love us and care about us. So like a great writer of our time says, I promise you'll never find another like me. Taylor Swift. I promise you'll never find another like me. Friendship in the world, I think, looks a ton like what Taylor Swift says in this statement. You'll never, ever find someone who is as cool as I am, who is as caring as I am, who is as loving as I am. And this statement, I think, really highlights the selfishness that we have to then push to when we chase our fetishes, when we allow followers to control our decision-making processes. Because in the end, we, you and I, we need friendship. Remember at the beginning, those facts I talked to you about, about what happens when we don't have friends? When you don't have a friend at work, you have a 1 in 12 chance of feeling engaged at work. When you have a friend, a 7 in 12 chance. And so in, in life, a person shouldn't be your friend. Get this, you shouldn't get married if the motivation is you'll never find another person like me. That is fear. FOMO. Fear of missing out. You are, you are trusting in fear to have relationship. And in the end, that's not biblical because the Bible says true love casts out all fear. Casts out all fear. And so th- I think this is really significant when it comes to Jesus. He's in this crowd of people and he starts to call people to himself and say, I want you to be in relationship with me. I want to have personal relationship with you, Mr. One of the Twelve. Come along with me. He pulls the disciples out of a crowd to say, let's start relationship. Listen to Aristotle. I think this is a really significant turning point in how we should look at friendship. Aristotle says, in poverty and other misfortunes in life, in poverty and other misfortunes in life, true friends are sure refuge. They keep the young out of mischief, they comfort and aid the old in their weakness, and they incite those in the prime of their life to noble deeds. I think that's what I want in friendship. Talk about a friend. Let's go. I think we should reprogram the way we look at friendship. We should, we should understand how to be good followers. In fetishes, Christian, we should be the best celebrators in people's lives. When, when people get a pay raise, we should be excited for them. When they get a new car, we should be excited for them. When they get a healthy relationship in their life, we should be, excited. We, we should be known as the best celebrators in, in the world. But we can't chase people to have acceptance. I think being reprogrammed like Jesus is to understand that you have something to offer the people around you. No matter where you're at in life, no matter what's going on, no matter how much you're struggling or how much you're having victory, in every stage of where you're at, you have something to offer. 
and, and not in a like self-pride, self-aggrandizing way where I'm just so good and you want to be in relationship with me. Remember, because like I said, that I promise you'll never find another like me. That's fear. But in the way that says, God has given me a capacity to bless others. God has given me a capacity to love others in a way that the world doesn't understand, doesn't get, is foreign to them. That we care deeply about those people that we call friends and are willing to sacrifice for their betterment. People don't do that. People don't do that. People aren't friends like that. And as Christians, God has given, I think, given you the capacity to do that. To say, you know what? God's got me and I'm going to bless you. Because it's, it, it, it's really easy for us to see the impact people have had on our lives. It's really easy to look and say, oh, man, this person's had so much impact on my life and this person's had so much impact on my life and this person's had so much. And it's really hard for us to stand where we're at, wherever you're at in life, and look and say, I have something to give others around me in relationship. I have something to offer others in friendship. Jesus did this, right? He did this with the 12 disciples. He looked and said, come and follow me because I'm going to make you fishers of men. He had something to offer the disciples in their lives. The part that's hard to see, though, is the fact that the disciples actually had something to offer Jesus in return. And, and what they offered in return was actually the future plan for the church. They, they were the ones that were going to continue the ministry after Jesus left because Jesus knew that he couldn't stay on earth forever, that he needed to go to the right hand of the Father. And so this is the example that Jesus leaves us, that right away at the beginning of his ministry, he comes out and he finds relationship with people and says, Come be in relationship with me. He goes out in the crowd and finds four men right away and says, Come be in relationship with me. Not just followers, not just looking for acceptance from them, but looking to have real relationship. And the disciples continued this. Acts chapter 2, at the very end, Verse 43, Acts chapter 2, verse 43 says, And they kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. So Jesus invites the disciples into relationship, and then Jesus leaves, and the disciples help bring salvation to other people, and what do they do? They bring those people into relationship. They go out and say, let's be friends. Let's do life together. So that, I think that's Jesus' example. So when we're talking about being programmed like Jesus, I think we're looking at valuing friendship the way he did. Seeing others around us and saying, not in an arrogant, self, self-aggrandizing way, but saying, I have something to offer. I have something to give. Let's close our eyes this morning as we go to, to worship again. And this morning, like I said at the beginning, you may feel 
I want to say this right. You may listen to these words this morning and go, Matt, I don't know if I can do it again. I've tried the friendship thing like you're talking about and I see that Jesus valued it, but it's hurt. It's painful. I've had people walk out on me. The research from the Vital Friends book, they did research on people who were homeless in L.A. And the easy thing to think is, oh, it's drugs or it's addiction that led them to homelessness. But behind every addiction and behind every place that they looked in these homeless people in L.A., they found broken relationship, a family that fell apart, a close friend that rejected them. And so friendship can be hard. So this morning, the first thing I want to say is, is like, have new life this morning. Let the cross cover those hurts. Jesus, I ask that you would just touch hearts this morning. Lord, heal hurt this morning. Our hearts can be broken, Lord God. But you said you came so that you can make all things new. And so this morning, I just pray for the hurts that are represented in this room in our hearts, Jesus. Lord, for those places that ache deeply for healing. And the last thing I want to challenge you this morning is in these next few moments as we worship and as we sing songs together, think about the people around you and ask yourself this question. What do I offer? What, what do I bring to them? And how can I use the gifts God's given me to bless others? There's going to be people up front to pray. If, if you've prayed before, please come forward and, and be available. I encourage you, never, never miss a moment for prayer. Never miss a moment to receive something this morning because that hurt that you feel or the, the anxiousness that you feel towards relationship when we pray, God shows up. When two or more are gathered, he's there in our midst. So thank you for, for considering this. I hope, beyond all measure, I hope that you are encouraged this morning. That you walk out of this room thinking, I've got, in confidence, walking out saying, I've got something to offer. I have something to offer. Yeah. Lord, thank you. You're so good. Lord, you're so good. Help us to be programmed like you to invite people into relationship, not just to be followers or have fetishes, but to really have a deep relationship with people in our lives. In your name, amen. Go ahead and stand and join us.